Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. K. Shattuck, 1995. What about 1995? 1995. Mm-hmm. You had a friend of mine. Uh, well, my friend. I was hanging out with my friend Mike G. You know Mike? Mm-hmm. He's our friend. He listens. Yep. Um, and 1995. Mike worked with a lady named Anne. Uh, Anne Heimlisher was her name. Okay. Still is her name, I think. And her, she was a concierge at the Parker House where Mike worked, 227-8600. I worked at the Marriott Hotel, 536-5000, in Cambridge. So, Anne was, she owned a company, I think she still does, called Boston Spotlight. And what they would do, and this is hugely important, what Boston Spotlight would do is promote um, restaurants and bars and things that were brand new and some tourists, like the trolley tour people or whatever. And she would organize and have all the concierges come to a party that she'd tell the people to throw. Mm -hmm. So the restaurant would close or give us a function room, whatever it was. And we'd all, all the concierges, me, I wasn't even a concierge at this time. I was a valet, bellman, doorman. Mm. But Anne wanted young faces there. And so... Me and Mike were young faces there. You know, I, he was nineteen or whatever. I was twenty-two. So ninety-five, I had a good-looking year. This is the, the <laughs> apex of my looks. This is the picture that my mother used to keep framed, even in subsequent years, because she was ashamed of my looks in subsequent years. But that year, I was handsome. So this, she kept this. Had a good-looking year in ninety-five because I ran, I lost some weight because I ran so hard being a ballet, valet. So anyway. So Anne has all these parties at all these great places. And Mike mm-hmm. and I are young kids and we're going to the best places in Boston. And Anne is a sweetheart and so fun and so great. And us concierges used to go, me and Mike and Anne or whatever, go to these parties. 
And it was good for the, the places because they got exposure. But what's the thing that if you're a restaurant, you want to do for a concierge, or at least was then? You want to grease the concierges so they send you, people to You want to grease them, you want to wine and dine them. So they would ply us with booze, which didn't take much pressure for Mike and I. We were all fine with that. And so it, we were just enjoying ourselves um, to no end, to no end. Mm-hmm. Had a great time. Um, uh, hang on one second. I just have to. I just have to think, actually. What? Hang on. I can't believe about you that you would underage drink, Thomas. I wasn't. I was of age. So anyway, so in, so so we would go to these great parties, get beautiful gift bags. They would totally take care of you. Obviously, the places run by Italians would really take care of you. Um, and it was incredible. It was incredible. It was just a great time and a great, great. It, so, you know, 22 years old or whatever it was, spending every night of the week at another free event with great food, great wine, beautiful women everywhere. Of course, I had the food and wine. The women, uh, were largely, <laughs> that, uh, that was not so automatic. But it was just a great time to be alive. And you're that age. You're 21 years old. I didn't care. I had a job. It was a valet in the morning. I would essentially, like, wake up after a few hours of sleep and and just groggy and go in there and sleep on the tee and go in and do my valet parking, et cetera. But one of the greatest parties we ever had was 1995 at Sansi. Do you know Sansi? Mm-mm. Sansi in Boston. It was the, it's at the end of Newbury Street. The I say the end. The Mass Ave end of Newbury Street. And it was the hottest place in the world in 1995. And Mike and I and Anna, we got these great gift bags. We had, it was a blast. Got to feel like a celebrity. We got these Lions Club cards. Do you know what those are? Nope. So I think it was Tommy Lions, who I later met at those breakfasts I used to go to. (laughs) Who was a mover and shaker. He ran a bunch of clubs, etc. If you had his card, that would get you VIP treatment anywhere. If you had a Lions Club card in the mid-90s, you were rock and roll. You'd show your card, and front of the line, drinks, taking care. It was the thing. So we were at this party in 1995 at Sansi, which was the swankiest, coolest place. They had incredible gift bags um, with uh, great hats and all sorts of different things and, and gift certificates. This was Anne knew what she was doing. She still does. And so they'd get all of the great... Um, yeah, spas, etc., to kick in stuff to the gift bags. It was high, it was living. Considering Mike and I essentially made minimum wage, right? We were living like rich people, and it was so fun and just great. And you go to the original the the party, and then go to some other party. And really, that's I spent my retirement in my twenties, thanks to Anne mostly, who would say, "I've got another party coming, another party coming, another party coming, another party coming." And it was just wonderful. And I during shortly after that, I lived in Boston, so I'm just stumbling around, <laughs> you know. Just, just, you know, I wasn't necessarily using um, a lot, whole lot of brain power at the time, but I was. It was just the greatest thing in the world. And I remember that Sansi going there and getting that card. It was so wonderful, so wonderful. 1995. Tonight, as we speak, Mike is texting me from Sansi at one of Anne's parties right now 27 years later is that is this going in and out every time yes, I hit the table every it, time you hit the table sorry. yes and it's just incredible just how just how um just how like in a flash life changes 
for the magic of being young. I certainly, I have made mostly all mistakes in my whole life. Obviously, stumbling into you was a was a fluke, and but my goodness, did we have a fun time in our twenties? Let it not be said. And I used to say this to another friend of mine, John, who may have been at that party too. That uh, that I thought the way to win life is to laugh the most, and we were laughing for just forever. It was a fun time, and so Anne and my Sansi friends, I hope mm-hmm. things are. Uh, I hope you're having a good good time. So fun, so fun. You so really... nothing's changed at Sansi and with Anne. No, she Anne still got the company. It's a great company. It's a great idea. It's such a great idea. And being a concierge, I wasn't one then, but two years later, I, I did become one. And I worked with Anne at the Parker House. Um, and it working at a hotel, it's it's probably, it's like working at a restaurant. It's both terrible. For me, it was terrible because I wasn't doing anything with to my potential. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't being um, paid for my own creativity. Because I was afraid to try to be creative, you know, whatever. It just, I was just a classic underachiever, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you meet some great people there and some brilliant people there. There are no you've been in you've been in retail, yeah. Like, don't count. I, I just told you I was just talking to you about that Boston breakfast with all the millionaires that I used to have to go to every week, which yeah. sucked. You'd rather work at a hotel than the, go to the, the Boston breakfast. Yep, the intelligence of of the people working at that hotel are. I'll mention Dan McKenna again. Dan McKenna has said more brilliant things that I've heard from any other person in in, in that room full of geniuses. I, I, I mentioned this today because somebody called and was talking about how, like, why uh, like all these senators love to run for re-election. Why do they want to be a senator? Like, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who's a millionaire, or billionaire, whatever. Like, and they're saying, why does he want to be a senator? Because if you're a senator, you go to a room like these breakfasts that I used to b- belong to, and all these movers and shakers kiss your ass. And also... The movers and shakers, by and large, are stupid. I used to listen to the questions they'd ask and say, "Really? <laughs> what are you doing?" You're that. T- I used to tell my boss Joe Shaka at the Herald after these breakfasts that I was made to go to. I would say, "Joe, they're so effing stupid. These people." But everybody in that room is worth at least thirty million dollars or more, except for one guy, <laughs> Tom Shattuck. And these people are just just absolutely filleting these politicians and things. I'm like, "Oh my god." Really? How can this be happening? How can I be so wealth adjacent in, in, in being beat by these people? But yeah, and and so so that's what's going on. That's and that I live. I I I miss Boston. I certainly miss Boston. In that part of my life, I can't imagine now. Like, it's odd to me to think of it. You know, when you have kids. I mean, if we had no kids, we could still kind of be living that life. But if you if you have kids, you're hit by a bus. And that's traveling 150 miles per hour that carries you down the highway. And so now for me, it's a, and just kind of destroys you, frays you. And so you can't Yeah, really sell it, Tom. Well, oh yeah, I was thinking about that actually. I like having kids. So I I was thinking about this, Alice. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because I want to move topics. I'll use this to, to, to segue. segue. So we're all... Um, we're all pro Jane and Mike. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you and I have, and I've told them at least Jane, your sister. Yep. I green light her to marry him. Okay. I think we agree that he's a fun guy with a good attitude. Yes. He's like a, just a good guy. 
Yeah. He's the kind of guy that talk about quintessential guy you want to have a beer with. No, doesn't if he's a psychotic, I'm not getting it. I'm not picking it up. Seems like a great guy, and oh, they've been on together, and just a, just fun. And somebody who's such a positive force for Jane. Mm-hmm. So because she's busting her ass, she's got an important job. She's got her podcast. She's got a thousand things going on, and you don't need somebody who's a net minus. She doesn't. You can't put her in a position where she's got to now tend to a needy <laughs> boyfriend. He's a force for positivity, which is great. Which is what what what's, what I have with you. I've got a net positive. Which one of us is the net positive? Well, right for me, you're a net positive. For for you, I'm a net negative. But you've made your decisions. It's over. <laughs> which that's my point exactly. So here's my point. But I got kids out of the deal, and they're right. a net positive. Well, here's my point: mm-hmm. is that if we're trying to get Jane to get married, yeah, so that our kids have more cousins, right? No, they just got one cousin. Yeah. I think we're modeling bad behavior. I think she's looking at our situation and saying, because uh, we're not glamorous, although we're getting a fairly glamorous car, supposedly, it's in the mail re- in the mail soon. <laughs> it's not now that the burnt, the burnt orange minivan is no more. It's, it's been sucked really away. It's not really that glamorous a car. Well, so, so I don't think we sell it very well. I think we need to be better ambassadors as people who are pro-kid in marriage. Because I think we should try to manipulate them to get married soon. Okay, I'll bear that in mind. What do you mean, Alice? She's going to need prodding. Okay. I'll try and look more like we're having a great time. But also, what do I do, Alice, when I want people to stay in? You bully them? Bully. Yes, she needs to be bullied. Well, isn't, isn't the ball in Mike's court now at this point? Yeah, but I don't know. He's a millennial. A millennial, whatever he is, he's at like thirty years They're old. They're millennials. I would. Say. I don't know what they do. I don't understand them as human <laughs> beings. I don't know. Do they propose anymore? Yeah, is that they, do. they do. They do. Yeah. I don't know. Does he have ink? I don't even know if he has ink. I don't know. Why are you saying that in that tone of voice? First, I thought you meant like, does he literally own ink? Toner cartridges. <laughs> and I was like, why would he ask that? And then I'm like, oh, he's. Trying to be hip with the lingo the young people use to ask if he has a tattoo. I don't know. I have no idea if he has a tattoo. All right. Well, let's get this going, but I think we need to model better behavior. Okay. I'll work on that. To do it. 1995, Sansi, end of Newbury Street. Okay. Man, the times I walked down through Boston. I really used the hell out of Boston for at least 10 years. But there's other stuff, like when you're a parent, that I think other things become more fun than that, too. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, it's a, but it's a totally different universe. Yeah. Like, I, totally... I don't think people that don't go out, like, clubbing anymore when their parents aren't doing it because, like, they absolutely can't get away to go clubbing. I think, like, other right, things right. become more oh. entertaining to you than clubbing. Oh, yeah. No, watching my daughter get a hit on the baseball team is a bigger high, or my son get a hit or, you know, or, or make a good play is now a bigger high than anything, than anything there. And also, when you're young, you know, 22 years old, whatever, everything is new. So, well, yeah, plus, and you like, buy into it because the adults are running everything, and you're the special young ones, <laughs> and you have, uh, you know, you know, people think you're special, and and you know, like you go into a club as a 21 year old. Wow, look at this! It's really cool. There's fluorescent stuff, and there's all this loud noise, and mm-hmm. and the waitresses are dressed sexily, and it's wow, it's everything. You know, at this age, I went to a club with my friends a couple of years ago, and I'm like, I could see 
the like particle board and I could hear the music too high and I could like I it, like nothing's magic anymore. It's just oh, I see you're using blue lights in here. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. You're, <clears throat> you're coming with a vial of something well, pink that is seventeen bucks. It's gonna suck. But it is interesting because I do think my generation in particular, there's there are a lot of millennial parents now. Obviously, when I first became a parent, there weren't quite as many millennial parents because I, you know, had kids on the younger side, and so well, they were all zero when you had them. Um, and then. <laughs> So when I had kids, really, I laughed at it. I laughed at it. It was great. Okay, so you know, I think that there weren't as many people my age, so I ended up like hanging around with parents that were maybe a bit older than me because they were the age that my kids were, you know. And then now there's like a lot more millennial parents out there, and I really feel like they maybe are hanging on to the pre-kid version of themselves more than people used to. I think part of it is, I mean, I think even Gen X is like this to an extent. I mean, I certainly think Gen X doesn't look as old as the, as their parents' generation did, like in their 40s. I think that's by... Hold on. You know, like the the boomers or whatever, they when they had kids and they were like in their forties, they looked like middle aged people. Like right. the parents and, and on, I think, I, like I the think, parents on that seventies show look like kinda like right, old exactly. people. And I think that, and, that is definitely by design. And there's a time when I can watch people my age dressing like Jason Bateman in Juno. Mm-hmm. When when people my age, guys my age started buying retro uh, band t shirts and like flannel and stuff, yeah. I think there is. A, I, I think there definitely is a. Well, even like the haircuts and stuff, and like just the just just the ways people look. Like it doesn't. It, I mean, guys now look like dads, but the way a dad looks and mm-hmm. how young they look now, even like the dads of kids our kids age tend to be a bit older than me and maybe a tiny bit younger than you but in that in that range roughly around your age and like they look way younger than dads looked when i was a kid you know right and and it's not just in my head because people seemed older when i was a kid you know it's it's also like you look at pictures and you're like wow they seem you look at like pictures of your parents and you're like wow they looked so old and like then you think back and you're like wow they're like my age now you know it's weird but but that's certainly that was like already happening I think with Gen X and with older millennials, but now it's like people really aren't changing anything about their lives like when they have kids, you know. And I think huh. I think part of it, you know, I think that people who have the means to do so, it's a lot easier to do that. First of all, if you have fewer kids and second of all, if you can afford to like pay people to do stuff with your kids all the time, it affords you a lot more time to sort of like continue living the life and being the person that you were before kids. I think a lot fewer people now, um, again, like because of lifestyle choices are, are choosing to continue to work when maybe they were doing single parents, single income households before and that that keeps you like sort of in a different universe from having kids mm-hmm. a little bit like and all these things are just contributing factors right but i think the culture of parenthood has really changed and that there's much more of a sense that you know like i'm still the same person i'm just doing this for a little while you know there's like very much a vibe of like needing to be the parent who's not too parenty 
Well, that's interesting. And I wonder why that is. I think probably people are in... People, I think, that will start with Gen X, is that they're more vain because a lot of Gen X people are in much better shape. For a lot of them, for the first time in their lives. I think people people work out now in, you know, in... In uh, in the eighties, it was like the jocks worked out. You wouldn't there wouldn't be any reason. Like your brother, both brothers are really strong guys. Edward, your brother, mm-hmm. is like ripped. Yeah, Th- that would be when I when I was a kid. You'd be uh, like a kid who was getting into professional weightlifting would be like that. In other words, uh, like I never went to a gym in the eighties. There was no well, reason. Right, but you don't get, you, you think know? part of that is like means too? Like, uh, don't you think that like the boomers once they like had careers and were parents and like owned a home and were mowing the lawn on weekend like they weren't they didn't have the time or extra like they wouldn't go work out like now parents in their 40s make time for themselves and spend the money to go work out either by having equipment at their house like the idea if you had told boomers in their 40s you know the in their house with their kids right like Oh, why don't you buy a several thousand dollar exercise bike that you can use at your house? I mean, I know exercise bikes existed, but like average married, like middle-aged people told them to buy a several thousand dollar exercise bike to like have in their house and like take special exercise classes with. They would have thought you were nuts. Like people just wouldn't have spent the money on. Well, there was an exercise revolution, no doubt. And the Jane Fonda workout was a huge thing and. In the eighties, Jim Fix, the runner who died in Vermont, mm-hmm. um, and so and people were quitting smoking. My dad quit smoking, and then was told by his doctor to start jogging, which he did for three days. You know, he dusted off the sneakers that he had last worn in nineteen sixty seven, and mm-hmm. dragged me and my brother to the track to try to jog a quarter of a mile. Um, but you're but you're right. Generally, yeah, generally now it's considered like almost a necessity, like self care. Right. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, I mean, I don't really know as much about what guys do, but like all these women who are middle aged to our moms, all I mean, all somebody's going to tell me they don't. Everybody's getting their hair done, getting their nails done, tanning, like, I mean, Botox, tons of stuff. Like not everybody does all of those, obviously, but like, you know, I I just don't think like people used to spend as much time and money on stuff like that as they used to, not to mention like yoga class and gym memberships and all those things. Like, I don't think that was considered like a necessity of life. It is interesting, in the eighties, the way like suburban people now like all have gym memberships or like yoga classes or well, like they all have something that they do. That's oh like no that. doubt, no doubt about that. And well, maybe some of that is the fact that we've got gotten increasingly fat. Regardless, and not so, the people in the towns with like well, the I, Boston I, sports. Club I understand gyms. that, but, but generally people are getting fatter, right? Um, food is, or at least was, but it has been relatively cheap. It's not. It's you know you can for seventy seven cents you can get a pound of pasta, but uh, but what I'm saying is that that maybe that creates and solidifies the class divide, right? Where you're, you're you don't want to you be have the, the money to be in shape. Exactly, and so and and you want to be a person who's one of the in shape people, mm-hmm. not one of the uh, fat people. That's de class A. Well, right. It signals that you're 
you know, it, it, you're part of the right social circles if you right. have a nice gym membership and you're skinny and you work out and all that What stuff. I have found disappointing is a couple of classmates of mine mm-hmm. have posted um, shirtless pictures of themselves. Guys. Do they look good? Uh, yeah, pretty good. But still, it's like, really, guys? Like, what are we doing here? I mean, yeah, they don't look like me, yeah, although I could do that, I guarantee you. <laughs> but they don't look like my brother Edward either. Right. But you know what would be interesting is I come from a generation where at least a good portion of the guys would tell me the truth, whereas if I was 21 years old and I put per, put a, a shirtless picture of myself out there in this shape, I'd probably be 95% lied to. Right. Looking awesome, Tom. Kicking ass. Because this, the... Generations now just suck and can't be honest with each other. My generation, my friends, if I posted a picture of myself, 49 years old, in this condition, shirtless, <laughs> the brutality that would ensue <laughs> on Facebook would be um, tough to watch for a lot of people, I can tell you. And uh, and I'm all for it. Um, which brings me to, by the way, I just want to give a quick nod here and thank you and... Um, I don't. I don't get a lot of plaudits from established people, but uh, to be called today publicly by Dave Cullinane, my friend Dave, mm-hmm. the greatest and most talented <laughs> radio partner Jerry Callahan has ever had, and that is a quote by Dave, was incredible. Thank you very much. That puts me. That means over John Dennis, over Kirk Minahan. That's over. That's. That's a high praise, Dave. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I don't usually, I don't usually. I mean, that's that's saying something. And just thank you. I, I feel, feel like I should give a speech. I have changed my Twitter bio to include um, that praise. <laughs> for the, it's, it's now the beginning line in my Twitter bio. I've gotten rid of my current job that's on there because <laughs> what are you going to say? But Dave has worked with a lot of famous people and at RKO at at uh, all sorts of different places. So. Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate that. Thank you. Right back at you, Dave is is a incredibly sufficiently adept producer. Then that's my return <laughs> praise to him. So, all right, should we do we talk politics, Ukraine? Do we? Fuck, I don't. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. Say to be about... honest with you, and I don't want to have a show where we force ourselves to say stuff because that's like what's in the news, so we must cover. So Putin then, let me let me Ukraine. ask you something. Let me let me let me put it to you. Okay. Let me interview you on this then. Okay. What effect do you think that the left's narrative, and not even just narrative, but core <clears throat> hardcore soul deep belief that Putin gave Trump the election because he bought some Facebook ads and that made everybody go nuts and vote vote for the mega guy what effect do you think that has on how people think about what we're supposed to do with Ukraine and Russia um well it's odd because they're still saying it by the way if you look at social media all over the place, they're still saying that Putin owned Trump, Putin owned Trump, Putin owned Trump, Putin owned Trump. It's all over the place. Right. I mean, and there's a whole bunch of people who are saying stuff like, I, I mean, I sent you one this morning that I saw where somebody tweeted, some blue check mark tweeted 
you know, I really wonder how Trump would have handled this situation. <laughs> and like, right. We we know how Trump would have handled Putin because we had four years of Trump literally being the president of the United right. States while there was Putin. So we don't need to speculate about whether or not he was owned by Putin or what, because Putin wasn't getting all this stuff that he wanted under Trump. He had sanctions on him that Biden lifted. He It was like the only presidency where he didn't invade Ukraine, it seems to me. I just don't like... We have the evidence of who was tougher on Putin. So I don't else, people, I don't know what kind of like 4D chess machination they're imagining was going on here. Like Putin owned Trump, but then like didn't take advantage of the fact that Trump was in his pocket this whole time to do all this stuff right. that he wanted. Figured- and then he waited until Biden was president to like make Biden look bad. Like what? You know I what that's get- done to me, Alice? To watch them say this, when they're saying this, well, at least Biden has united everybody and all the NATO countries are condemning and this, that, 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 that. <clears throat> to me, what that's saying is is that much like Facebook now is a pet cemetery, right? Where people go talk about you know Mr. Boots who left us after 15 years as the greatest cat in the world. Mm-hmm. Is that Twitter? The degradation on Twitter has gotten so that it's where you go to have a tantrum, not based on facts. Well, right. Yeah, I guess so. I guess Twitter is where you just go to vent your feelings about how mean Trump was or whatever. But <coughs> sorry. But it's interesting and, and odd to me, like the disconnect about this Putin stuff, because obviously the left thinks because they associate Trump and Putin together in their heads that like Putin's bad and Russia's bad. Mm-hmm. And so like obviously they think Russia invading Ukraine is bad, but then it's hard to see like how do they then square the circle of the fact of like Putin not paying any attention to anything Biden tells him to do and just invading Ukraine and like what do they want Biden to do about it? Because, it, I mean, Biden went on and on during the campaign about how, like, Putin didn't want him to be president because right. he would be so tough on him. And he knows what he's doing, unlike Trump that got tricked by all the strongman world leaders. And, the, and like, that's just so clearly not true at all. Like, Biden just got totally pushed around by Putin. Like, if you're, if you're somebody who, um, who supports Neville Chamberlain... Mm-hmm. And he comes back and he says that we've secured peace in our time um, at the, from the, the Treaty of Versailles. And he takes a victory lap. And you say, see, you see, you see. And then the Germans roll into the Satan land and roll into Poland. And he knows he's cooked. Chamberlain knows. Like, how do you, what is the emotional need to be a dead ender and say, no, he was right. He was just right. He was right. Because I don't think the 1940s were peace in our time. No, it seems like they weren't. It doesn't seem like uh, Kamala's sanctions were the strongest deterrent the world had ever seen. Right. Like, it didn't It didn't happen the way that they said it would happen. It was not a historic airlift <laughs> that happened Jesus. in Afghanistan, right? Like, it was a disaster, and it was a mess, and their Russia policy was a disaster and a mess, and I don't... Yeah, I, I don't get how you, how you justify it to, to other 
to, to other people like because there's I mean there's a whole bunch of people on Twitter and I guess in real life although like I, I still think it's more prevalent on Twitter who like you say are dead enders who are just always going to pair at the party line and like say the thing no matter what even if they know it's stupid they're just going to keep saying it like there's always that group of people right and then there on so there's like that group of people on both sides and then there's you know there's people who are sort of in the middle who truly like don't really know or care either way like don't have strong Mm -hmm. feelings about any politics i tend to think most people in the very middle not so much that they like don't lean one way or the other, but mm-hmm. they just, like, don't care to know anything about politics. Like, there's a whole bunch of people who just don't. Like, it doesn't even... Like, they don't... They haven't heard about Ukraine this week. They don't know about it. God bless those people. <laughs> I want to be one of those people. I know. That was I Tom know. Shattuck at Sansi in 1995. <laughs> I know. You just missed it all. Like, Although I did spend my time hating The same people that all the man on the street bits always fine right right when they go interview people and they're like who's the vice president and they're like mm, like they don't know you know ah, lucky <laughs> bastards. So, but there's like a whole bunch of people like that there's a lot of them that are out there and then but like then there's then there are people who like care and listen and probably like lean one way or the other but are intellectually honest and those are the people that you peel off with like this Afghanistan stuff with the CRT stuff in the schools with Leah Thomas the trans swimmer with like those types of policies i mean they're and they're the same type of people that you know a lot of them did leave the, the like the suburban voters who considered themselves informed. Like a lot of them left the Republican Party when Trump was there because he offended their sensibilities and they're educated mm-hmm. in this. But they're like they're fairly intellectually honest people, so they can be honest when they see the Afghanistan historic airlift happening, or they can be honest when they see that Putin clearly is not intimidated by anything Biden's doing at all, and they can like honestly assess the situation. You know, I think of it like in this state. Right. We had that uh, election with Charlie Baker last time in 2018, you know, when he was reelected and he had like a 75 percent approval rating. And there were obviously a bunch of like Republicans who are upset at him for not being right wing enough because he's not very right wing at all. Um, And then like, you know, there were a bunch of moderate Democrats who recognize him for what he is, which is essentially a moderate Democrat with an R next to his name, and they are honest about it, and they just like him and voted for him. And then there's, like, still a few, like, the Democrats technically ran somebody, Jay Gonzalez, but it was, like, it was, like, a nothing candidate. There was nothing (laughs) behind it. Nobody cared about it. Like, there was no reason to have somebody else besides Charlie Baker in the race because he's, like, very broadly popular with the state's moderate Democrat base, right? And well, yeah, but so also that was like to yeah. me the baseline of like everybody who just went out and voted for Jay Gonzalez, even though he had like no reason to even be there. And Charlie Baker is essentially a Democrat, so there's like there's no there's nothing. If you're a Democrat, you have no reason if you're being honest not to vote for I Charlie assumed, Baker. I was I assume turnout was low. I assume I don't know, remember, recall, but in Massachusetts, I assume it was low in 2018. Um, I, but, I mean, kind of, but there was... But, like, uh, you know, Baker had had shivved Trump, which certainly helped him, but it's still remarkable to me. But, like, Jeff Deal was on the ballot that year against right. Warren and stuff, so, I mean, this, there was... Was it against Warren? Yeah, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, so, 
Uh, I mean, that's stu- like it wasn't that low turnout. Like there was stuff on the ballot and there were ballot questions, I think, and stuff, too. But the the whole like there there are a bunch of people that are persuadable. Right, I guess is my point. But then there is this like very vocal minority. Like I regarded that 2018 gubernatorial election really as like a test case for who are the people who are just going to vote Democrat no matter what. Like the Republican Party ran a Democrat too, and you guys are voting for the other Democrat just because, right? Who was like, the crazy guy? Scott Lively. Yes. Oh God. Yes. There's three reasons why people pick you up in a car <laughs> for sex. Or because they're alcoholics, or for a third reason. I forgot what it was. He was a very interesting guy. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But, yeah, like, so there's just people that are rabid, and they're on, a lot of them are on Twitter. So they're just always going to, you know, they're going to go out there and tell you that Charlie Baker is some crazy right-wing nut job, because that's, like, what the Democratic Party said this week. And they're going to go out and tell you that Joe Biden's doing an awesome job in Afghanistan. And isn't it great? And they're going to go out and tell you that, you know, that Biden is super tough on Putin and that somehow this is Trump's fault. And all those things, they're going to keep saying that stuff, even though it's like demonstrably false and everybody around them is embarrassed for them. It's funny. Can I change the subject? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Reuters reports 46 minutes ago okay 1200 year old remains of sacrificed adults kids and kids unearthed in peru yeah are you surprised by that that the peaceful native civilizations were uh sacrificing well humans? that's my point mm-hmm. isn't that interesting to see a news story where white supremacists like you and i Aren't in trouble. <laughs> I'm sure they can find a way. 1,200 years ago, Alice, I'm pretty sure there were no Europeans in Peru. Hmm. 1,200 years ago. I think this is showing <clears throat> Peru's supremacy. Well, they'll just argue that it's good. I've seen liberals on Twitter argue that, too. That what's... Different oh, cultures had a very get, different they understanding. They should get to do genocide too. Different cultures had a very different understanding of human sacrifice. It was considered a service that you could do to your tribe to appease the gods. It was considered an honor to be human sacrificed. It was a very different culture. We have no right to judge them. Look at the things we do. Right? That's the argument. Yeah, the Aztecs had like. <laughs> they had, or we're supposed to call them now the Mexica, I think, not the Aztecs. But <laughs> when the f did that happen? I don't know. Recently, we can't call them the Aztecs anymore. I think they're called the Mexica now. No, they're not called the <laughs> effing Mexica. They're called the Aztecs. Okay, Aztec is a cool name. Um, you know, they did the first brain surgeries. Uh, probably on like <laughs> Alice. Sacrifice. Alice. They built don't like show your towers stripes. of skulls of human Don't sacrifice victims the other like native groups that they subjugated in central america were like all thrilled and helped the colonizers to try and get rid of them because they were so oppressive and terrible yeah human beings are uh, not very kind to each other it turns out did you see that movie the mel gibson movie apocalypto where it's like the 
No. It's like the guy is like going to be human sacrificed by some kind of like South or Central American civilization and he like runs away and tries to get away. You wouldn't like the movie, trust me. There's yeah. no talking and it's just him like running away in the jungle and stuff and it's like violent. You won't be surprised to know what? else that uh, John Featherston first I love John Featherston. made a note um, that Dave Cullinane had said I was the greatest person to ever work really to ever be in radio right and there are many people who disagree else you won't be surprised no but a lot of these people i agree with jay severin should be on the list i like that <laughs> not that he should be above me but he should be on the list somewhere david <laughs> brundoy howie carr <clears throat> i also another thing i like is that um is that um a lot of the people who took me seriously when I said I did everything right when I get COVID, uh-huh. et cetera, have now made the determination, Alice, that I'm a parody account. <laughs> <laughs> yep, parody When did account. they decide that you're a parody account? <laughs> I can't. I'm not a parody account. <laughs> Jesus. You have a blue check mark. How yeah, can I'm you very be a important. parody account? I'm oh. very important. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, oh. Okay. Um, remember I told you a while ago that um the people on Twitter were trying to like make it into a thing that the truckers are Nazis because Hong Kong stands for H H yes. stands. So now that's uh that philosophy is going mainstream if you uh, check what i just sent you by the way oh hold on let me check um so did you know so as i predicted the things that crazy people said on twitter became a reality need to be seized how much vitriol this is in the canadian parliament by the way which is an acronym for hail hitler do we need to see by these protesters on social media how many guns i like that she's scared of vitriol Mm -hmm. there's vitriol happening do you know that how many times do you need to see the words honk honk which means heil hitler she just says unqualified with no like that's all it takes that's all it takes is some people on the internet making a joke that something means Heil Hitler, and all of a sudden the entire left believes it. It's the same as the thing with like the circle, the circle gate, the OK sign thing. Oh, yeah, Do you remember God. they made that a thing? In a White House tour, means, a kid did the OK thing. It means white power. I hope you know. Like they just made, it's just a joke. Like it, it doesn't it, of mean Of course, it's got to be the power. worst thing in the world. Yes, you know it's white supremacy. And do you remember then the they had then they had like pictures of kids at basketball games going like right. this at basketball games, and it was they're making the white power sign. See, by the way, if you are in Montana, an actual mm-hmm. white supremacist skinhead, you have all the books. <laughs> you believe in the, the you can show genetic evidence that you're better, etc., and have everything. Someday you want to start the race war so that you can ascend, etc. How talk about appropriation? It's like they have watered down. The- I think they like it because I think they think that it means that they've gone mainstream and like everybody else really like I think they believe their own press. You know what I mean? Like yeah, but the, remember Alice, the white supremacists? But, but now all, like- they're but now they're thrown in 
with Candace Owens. Candace Owens is a white supremacist. They'd probably and, take Candace Owens. They're that probably <laughs> desperate for membership, honestly. Uh, a, like, <laughs> a multicultural white supremacy group. They probably are. They Remember they were so happy? Like, like Richard Spencer was getting on TV all the time in 2016 with the, with the Trump campaign because they were the... They, the mainstream media was happy to play them because they were like, yeah, we support Trump. We're white supremacists. And so, like, CNN was seeking out anybody who said they were a white supremacist and supported Trump. They, you know, when Richard Spencer felt betrayed by Trump and, like, he didn't do any of the white supremacist things he hoped he would and that he was voting for Biden this time, CNN didn't make that into the news. But, you know, they when the media... Is trying to make it seem like white supremacists are mainstream. The white supremacists like that because it they think that it means that they're like becoming mainstream. But yeah, they're but just think, not. They're that, still just the, losers. The mainstreaming of white supremacists could be uh, bad for them because I do think there are a lot of ne'er do wells and a lot of um, runts of the litter who gravitate toward because it's so gross because it's so not accepted by polite well right and if you had any ethics as like a journalist or anybody else you wouldn't be purposely trying to uh to amplify the voices of obviously disturbed screwed up people running around claiming to be white supremacists and making them think zucker (laughs) who greenlit that so I guess to follow up on that, the president said before he got here that Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. It's two and a half years later. He is intimidating the United States and those in Eastern Europe. What happened? I'd hardly put it that way. I would look at it actually from the prism of the United States and President Biden has rallied the world, uh, rallied Europe uh, to stand up against the efforts and the actions of President Putin. And we, totally we've laid out very clearly exactly. $4 gas, $5 gas, however how you guys think it's going to go, something like that. It's not intimidating. You asked me if we were intimidated by uh, President Putin, and I think uh, the evidence of that doesn't exist. Well, we'll see. Uh, yeah, he's certainly not intimidated by you. It's it... So along those lines, here's John Bolton on with Andrea Mitchell. It Listen to her. Just the consternation. What? What? What are you talking about? The consternation. Well, I think uh, uh, Putin is undoubtedly waiting for a second Trump term, but uh, he's getting effectively almost what he would have expected then. This is going to be a victory for Russia. You think that what the the Biden administration is doing, rallying the NATO allies, getting, I mean, it has failed. Ambassador. The president says it is. But he's rallied the NATO allies. He's doing, they're all getting along. They're one. What? What? Can you imagine that? No, he's rallied them. They're rallied now. They're together with one voice. We stand with Ukraine. There's hashtags now. They probably also uh, support trans rights and, (laughs) you know, diversity and, like, that pregnant people should be uh, allowed to fly bombers and everything else, right? Like, so that's great. And I... Think Putin should be very scared of that level of unity and diversity and uh, forward-thinking. Uh, uh, whole exactly, our, our we're priorities. gonna we're gonna woke him to death. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> um, as always, you can find us on Twitter if you want to 
tell Tom other people who should be on the list somewhere below him for top please do top radio and podcast hosts of all time uh, you can let us know that there that is at Pod on Twitter or at Tom Shattuck you can also find us at facebook.com slash burnbarrelpodcast or burnbarrelpodcast.com you can write your emails to burnbarrelpodcast at gmail.com imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.